Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. Those of you that are, are visiting, um, I look around and see a few new faces. If you're visiting, we have a Bible study every Wednesday night. We are uh, currently going through the Sermon on the Mount. And tonight we're about, about halfway done. We're in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. And the title, as you can see, is, Is Your Eye Healthy? And you'll see where that title comes from in just a, a bit. So let's go ahead and read our verses. Now, these verses are really kind of in three sections. So I'm going to read each section and kind of point it out. So here's the first one, uh, verses 19 to 21. Jesus said this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. And instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that's, his, that's kind of the first section, what he says. Right after that, we get this really weird statement. It just seems really odd. This is what he says. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. And by the way, he's talking about money. He's talking about money. And then he goes on and says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. All right, so let's, let's kind of center ourselves and, and see why Jesus is bringing this up. Uh, as Christians... We are incredibly blessed people. We have been born again. We have a new heart. We have been indwelt by the Spirit of God. We are one with Jesus Christ. We have this new character inside of us. But yet, we have to go out into the world and walk it out. Colossians 1.10 says this, and I'll just say two words. Walk worthy. Walk worthy. Walk worthy of the God that has called you. But what Jesus wants us to see in chapter 6 is that this walk is not going to be easy. As we get out and we go out and we try to live the Christian life, there are all kind of dangers awaiting us. Now, Jesus introduces this first danger in, in chapter 6, verse 1, which is the danger of hypocrisy. He says, beware of doing your righteous acts so that other people can see you. Now, interestingly, this is a danger that actually comes from inside of us, not from the outside. You see, James 1.14 says this, Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. The fact is that we all want to be patted on the back sometime. We all want people to admire us. We all want people to respect us. We all want people to validate us. That's just, a, a, that's just something that's inside of us. And Jesus said, be very careful because of that, because the, the devil will tempt you, 
and make you want to do your righteous acts, things like giving and praying and fasting and serving, if you're not careful, you'll end up doing them just so people can pat you on the back. And he says, if you do that, you have lost your reward. Now, the remedy that he gives us, and he always gives us a remedy. The remedy that he gives us is this. Always do it for an audience of one. When you give, give in secret. When you pray and fast, do it in secret. Do it for the Father, and the Father will reward you. If we could just keep that in our mind, no matter what we're doing, do it for an audience of one. That's the only person, it's the Father, that you have to please. Do that, and and you'll be okay. Now, here in verse 19, Jesus is going to introduce a second danger to the Christian life. But this time, instead of coming from the inside of us, this danger is going to come from the outside. And it's not something like persecution. That's what you might think. That's not what it is at all. Now, it is going to come from what the Bible refers to as the world. Now, I want to clear something up tonight. If you, if you read the Bible, especially the New Testament, you're going to hear that phrase over and over again, the world, the world, the world, the world. But what does the Bible mean when it uses that phrase, those two words, the world? Well, it can mean different things. Sometimes it just means the creation the, the planet, the earth, the people that inhabit it. For example, in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world, right? So he's talking about his creation. He's talking about the, the people of this planet. That's exactly what it refers to. But it doesn't always refer to that. For example, 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world. Well, he's not talking about the people. Right? Aren't we supposed to love one another, love our enemies? Uh, He's not talking about the people there. He says, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He's not talking about the creation. He's not talking about the planet. What's he talking about there? Here he's talking about an outlook, a mentality, a, a, a way of thinking and seeing things and doing things. What he's saying is don't love the world's way of thinking. Don't love the world's way of seeing things and doing things. Don't do that. You can see this, for example, in Romans 12 too. It's the same thing. Do not be conformed to the world. What's he talking about? Don't be conformed to the world's way of thinking. Instead, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So you can see here the battle is here is a mind battle. And we are to be transformed. We're not to conform to the way the world thinks and the world, the way the world sees things. Now, so here, as we, as Christians, as we walk out into the world, it's going to try to drag us down. It's going to try to ruin our spiritual life. It's kind of going to try to pull us down in the mud. And the way it's going to do that is very subtle. It doesn't have to be persecution or any of that. It's very subtle. What the world will do is try to get you to see things and think about things, and do things its way. That's the danger that faces every one of us. And the very first example that Jesus gives of this danger is money. It's his very first example. Next week we'll turn and give a second example, which is anxiety or worry. But the very first example that he gives is the example of of money. See, here's the question that faces each and every one of us. 
And it, by the way, it was the same question that faced them 2,000 years ago and 1,500 years ago and 1,000 years ago, and it's still here today. Will you see money through God's eyes or will you see it through the world's eyes? Every one of us has a choice. Will you see your money through God's eyes or will you see it through the world's eyes? Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible talks a lot about money. And when I say a lot, I mean a lot. I'll give you a few did you knows. Did you know the Bible contains 500 verses on prayer? It contains 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Four times the verses that you find on, on prayer. Did you know that almost half of Jesus' parables, most people count up about 38 parables in the New Testament, almost half of them, 16, deal with money and possessions. Did you know that Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined? He spoke more about money than he did heaven and hell combined. Now you may say, well, why would he, why would he do that? Well, there's a few reasons and I won't spend a lot of time. For one thing, I think he understands it's one of the most likely reasons that people will not follow him. It's one of the most likely reasons people will not follow him. It, there's an incredible temptation to put our trust in it. You came here tonight in a car that money bought. You're wearing clothes that money bought. You got a meal in your belly that money bought. You'll go home to a roof that money bought. You, it's so easy to make money your God. It's like money's providing everything for you. It's so easy to trust in it. By the way, money is common to everybody. No matter if you're black or white or young or old or male or female or a Roman or an American, everybody needs money. Everybody, everybody's got to deal with this. It's, it's common across the human condition. So that's one of the reasons, I think, or several reasons that he talks a lot about money. Now, here he is again tonight in the Sermon on the Mount, and once again, he's talking about uh, money. Now, what he's going to do in, verse, in, chat, in verses 19 and 20 is he's going to lay down a general principle. And this is the general principle for you and I. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Okay, that is the general principle. And you see that in verses 19 and 20. Now, before we go much further, I, I need to look at two words, and that's that little phrase, lay up. Do not lay up for, your treasure, for yourself treasures on earth, but instead lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. What do those two words mean? Well, those two words mean to accumulate. It comes from the root word to pile up or to stack up. And, and it's, what it's doing here is it's picturing wealth or it's picturing money that's either not being used or it's being used for overindulgence. Okay, let me say that again. It's pic it's, the picture here is of money that's either not being used or it's being used for overindulgence. Now, I could, I could go into the Greek and all that, but fortunately, Jesus gives us a perfect explanation in a parable that he tells in Luke 12. So let me set the stage for this parable. This is the context. Jesus is out one day. He's doing some teaching. He's got some crowds around him. And someone in the crowd hollers out, Teacher, tell my brother to share his inheritance with me or to divide the inheritance with me. 
Now, I want you to understand what just happened. Here is a man, and standing in front of him is the king of the universe. Here's a man, and standing in front of him is, is, is a man that can give him eternal life. Here's a man, and he's standing in front of Jesus, who the Bible says, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And all that man can worry about is his inheritance. All he can worry about is his money right now. So Jesus, it says this. He says, let me tell you a parable. And this is the parable that he tells. Luke 12, 16 and 17. It says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And that rich man thought to himself, man, what am I going to do? I got nowhere to put my crops. Now, I want, you, I want you to notice something. The man is already rich. Everybody got that? He's a rich man. That's not a problem. That's not sinful to be rich. He's a rich man. And his land produces plentifully. Hey, good for him. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not a problem. And he says to himself, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have anywhere to store this thing. So if, if we brought this into the modern day, maybe he would say something like this. Man, I, I've got all this extra money. My, my stocks have just have, have over, uh, overvalued themselves. i got all this money coming in. Maybe I received some big inheritance, or maybe I got some huge raise, or I sold some piece of real estate. But there's some man, and he's, he's, he's a wealthy man. He's already got plenty, and yet he gets all this extra money. And he thinks, what am I going to do with it? Well, this man in the parable says this. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger ones, and there I will store, and there's that word, there I will lay up all my grain and my goods, there I will accumulate all my grain and my goods, and I'll say to my soul, soul, you got ample goods laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. If we looked at a modern man, he would say, you know what, I know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm already well off, I got plenty. But I know what I'll do with all this money. I'll reinvest it. I'll make even more money. And I'll just retire. I don't have to work anymore. I'll just kick back. I am set for life. And this is the parable in Luke 12, 20, 21. But God said to that rich man, You fool. This night your soul is required of you and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who, say it with me, lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, listen to me. What does that mean, by the way, rich toward God? Rich toward God, it means, it means that God is my riches, that God is my reward. It means that I live a life that lives, I have a life I live in such a way that God, not my money, is my treasure. That's what it means to be rich toward God. You see, that man's problem, his sin, was not being rich. His sin was hoarding his wealth as though it was given to him for him alone. You see, the Bible tells us several reasons that God gives us wealth. God gives us money. Number one, to provide for our daily bread. Number two, to help others. Number three, to spread the kingdom. Those are the three reasons that you have money. So three reasons that man had money, and he completely ignored the other two. And he said, wow, this is all for me. 
This is all for me. He didn't think about the poor man. He didn't think about people that needed help. He didn't think about spreading the kingdom of God. He just thought about himself. That's what it means to accumulate treasures on earth. Now, let's make sure we understand first what Jesus is not saying. There is no ban here on money and possessions themselves. Scripture tells us, we're going to come back to this scripture in a bit. This is uh, Paul writing to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. And he says this, As for the rich, charge them not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So he could have easily said, charge the rich, they need to sell everything they got and give to the poor. And by the way, guess what that makes the rich then? Now they're poor. I mean, that, that's, he never tells them to do that. He said, don't set your hope on your riches. And we'll see later, he tells them what to do with it. But what I want you to notice here is that God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. There's, there's just nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing inherently wrong with having possessions. Secondly, and this always comes up, there is no ban here on saving for a rainy day. This is something I get asked a lot. Should Christians have a 401k? Should Christians put money back uh, for retirement? Should Christians save? Absolutely, you should. I'll give you a couple scriptures. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8, it says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. The Bible says, look at the ant. Look how, look how they prepare for hard times. They put stuff away. They Look at that. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.8 says this, If anyone doesn't provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I can tell you, I'm a, my kids are gone. they got their own families. But I've got a wife at home, and I'm going to take care of her. I'm going to make sure she's taken care of. That's my responsibility. If I don't do that, Scripture tells me I'm worse than an unbeliever. So there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus doesn't say we can't save. What he says is don't make that savings your focus. Don't make that your goal. There's too many people out there just socking money back, and they're thinking, man, I'm going to travel the world, and I'm going to buy an RV, and I'm going to go do this and this and that, and they're not giving God's kingdom one thought. That's the problem. That's what he's saying here. What he's trying to address is the attitude, the right attitude, that you and I should have toward things that are temporary, like money and possessions. So let's that's what he's not forbidding. Let's make sure we understand what he is forbidding. He's forbidding the selfish accumulation of goods. He's forbidding extravagant and luxurious living. He's forbidding a hard heart that doesn't see the needs of others. And he's forbidding materialism. That, that foolish fantasy that people buy into that somehow having a bunch of stuff is going to make you happy. He forbids all of those things. Now, this is the general principle. Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Instead, lay up treasures in heaven. Now, although he does not have to, he could have just given us the command and said, go do it. But graciously, he gives us four reasons that, we, that you and I should follow this principle, okay? Here's the reason, number one, that he lays out in verse 20. The first reason he gives us is that earthly riches are temporary. 
Earthly riches are temporary. Look at verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Listen, whatever you do with your money, I want you to hear this. Devoting your money, like that rich man did, to material comforts and security and pleasures is, is you're just spending it on things at the end of the day are completely temporary. They're completely temporary. There are thing, these are things they can never bring any lasting contentment. They never bring any lasting satisfaction. You all know it, right? How, every single one of us, we just, I had to have that rifle. I had to have that dress. I had to have that car. I had to have that house. And you get it, and a few days, a few weeks few months later, it's, you've moved on to something else, right? There's no contentment there. There's no satisfaction. To, to lay up for yourselves, for that to be your focus, is literally to doom, yourself, doom your life to one of frustration and unhappiness. And here's the thing. While we're alive on this earth, all this money we got, it can be stolen. Some of us have had that happen. Stock market can crash. We all know about inflation, right? We're seeing it right now. We thought we were good, but now, I mean, people. I, I, anyway, I was going to go down another road. <laughs> Sometimes I got to stop. I'm trying to learn. You don't got to say everything that comes into your head, right? <laughs> and here's the thing, right? You get to the end, and guess what? Whatever's left, somebody else gets it. Solomon in Ecclesiastes says, that's vanity. I work so hard for all this. I look at all that I produce, and when, it's de- when I'm gone, somebody else gets it, and they didn't do anything. I had an old preacher, y'all know I've heard this before, every once in a while he'd pull out his keys, keys to his car, keys to his truck, keys to his boat, keys to his gun cabinet, and he'd say, one day these will belong to somebody else. Isn't it insane to live for things that are just temporary? It makes no sense at all. But you see, that's how the world sees money. Buy things. Get things. It'll, it'll, it'll make you feel good. You're, you're, everybody will you know, look to you and, and admire you. And it just tells you all this stuff about money. And the danger for you and I is that we will buy into that way of thinking. And it is an insane way of thinking. Now listen, here is Jesus' remedy. Always hold your earthly treasures up to the measuring stick of eternity. That thing that you just got to have, always look at it and hold it up to eternity and see what it looks like. Just like he gave us a remedy for hypocrisy, always serve for an, an audience of one. He gives us the same remedy. Always hold it up to eternity. Let's read the verse 19 and 20 together. Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Inflation gets them, they can be stolen, that car breaks down, the house needs repairs, it just goes on and on. Lay up for yourselves instead, he says, treasures in heaven. Nothing's going to eat it, nothing's going to rust it, nobody's going to steal it. In other words, what he's saying is invest in the blue chip, high yield, divinely insured treasure of heaven. What Peter calls an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Nothing can ever happen to it. Now, let me answer this question. Some of you may be thinking, well, what are treasures in heaven? 
I'd like to, I'd like to store some away. I'd like to put some up, but how do I do that? Well, this is what they are. To lay up treasure in heaven is to do anything on this earth for eternity. In other words, you do something on this earth for the kingdom of God. You do anything, any kind of work done in faith to spread the kingdom. You're laying up treasures in heaven. And the beautiful thing about this, it can be as simple as giving somebody a cup of water. Mark 9, 41, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. It's that, I mean, you, you, we think, well, I gotta go do something great. No. It's just, sometimes it's just the little things you do in faith for the kingdom of God. He says, you will not lose your reward. That's a treasure in heaven. It's being stored up for you. Now, of course, it can also mean giving your money. Let's go back to 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. He says, as for the rich in this present age, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus what? Storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. See, when you give to the kingdom, when you give to the church, when you give to the needy, when you give in the name of Christ, when you do it in faith, you're investing that money in heaven. High yield, divinely insured. Nothing can ever happen to it. Eternal rewards. You see, the more we invest here, the more rewards we are storing up in heaven. That's, those are the words of Jesus. I've heard people say sometimes, well, as Christians, you know, you really shouldn't be going for a reward. Jesus didn't think that. He talked about it all the time. He wanted to motivate us that way. So I think it's completely appropriate, appropriate that we motivate one another. Listen, I, I won't get in tonight what those rewards are going to be. But can I just tell you that they are far above anything you could ever ask or anything you could ever think, or anything you could ever even imagine. They will blow this stuff on earth out of the water. It won't even be worth thinking about when you see what's there for you in heaven. That's reason number one. Reason number two, he tells us in verse 21, one of the reasons we should lay up treasures in heaven and not on earth is because treasures on earth can become an idol. Verse 21, he says this, for, and that word means because, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Christ, He commands us not to accumulate. Everybody with me what accumulate is? It's just hoarding. I need more and more and more. Don't do that. Why? It's not because money is evil. It's not because anything's wrong with possessions. The problem's with our heart. That's the problem. As I said earlier, the more we have, the more we tend to trust in that stuff. And we tend to, to look, as I said earlier, to things like money and possessions as the source of our happiness and the source of our hope and the source of our, our contentment. And the world, by the way, is, is they are happy to just double down on that every day. Every day, get this new phone, get the new laptop, get that new car, get those new clothes, get just this idea. If you just get this next thing, you're going to be happy. Folks, listen to me. Don't buy the lie. You can never satisfy the eternal with the temporary. 
You can never satisfy that eternal longing in your heart with temporary things. Eternal longings are made to be satisfied with eternal things. Don't buy that lie. That's what Jesus, by the way, in the parable of sower, refers to as the deceitfulness of riches. It holds that carrot out there, and if you just get a little more money, if you just get a little more of this. I saw a survey this week. They asked a thousand Americans, how much money would you need to make a year to be happy? Thousand Americans, and they all and, and when they got done, they averaged it all out. What do you think it was? Two hundred and thirty-three thousand dollars a year. They needed to be happy. That's the deceitfulness of riches. If I just had a little bit more, if I just had a little bit more, I'd finally be comfortable. I'd finally be happy. I finally, no. Jesus said that is the deceitfulness of riches. Here's my question tonight to each and every one of us. Where is our heart? Here's a few questions. And you can kind of look at yourself and ask these, answer these yourself. When you're all alone, you're sitting in a car, maybe you're waiting on somebody, you got nothing going on, and you just daydream. What do you daydream about? What do you think about? Is it that, man, if I could just get that rifle, if I could just take that vacation... If I could just, you know, have this certain relationship. Is that, is that what you daydream about? Or is it the kingdom? See, what you dream about, what you fret about, what you worry about is a good pointer to where your treasures really are. Do you worry about your investments? Do you worry about your career? Do you worry about the, the clothes you're wearing? They're not quite good enough. Is that really where your mind is? If it is... A good chance that's your treasure. By the way, if you're like me, sometimes it's hard to know my own heart. So here's a good question. You can kind of turn it around a little bit. What are the things that you measure others by? When you look at a man and you respect that man, do you respect him because of his career? Do you respect him because of how much money he's got? Do you respect him because of his education? Or do you respect him because he's a man of God? He might be a ditch digger, but he's a man of God. See, that question is very revealing because we, ought, we usually admire in others what we want for ourselves. Let me say that one more time. We usually admire in others what we really want for ourselves. Where's your heart? Reason number three. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Got about 15 minutes. I'm going to jump and skip the, the whole middle part about the eye, okay? I'm going to come back to it, but I want to go to verse 24. Reason number three in verse 24 is that money has a tendency to master us and control us. Jesus said this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You say that word with me, cannot. Can't do it. That's an impossibility to serve God and serve money. I, I looked at some statistics. I thought, you know, are people, can, don't most people think, I was one of them at one time, most people think I can serve God, but buddy, I can have it all. I can serve money. I can do both things. I can chase money and I can chase things, but I can also serve God. 
And Jesus is saying you can't do it. So I said, well, let's look at statistics. I looked at two different studies that came out over the last three or four years. Um, one study looked at 1,000 churchgoers over eight years. I think the other study looked at about 10,000 different churchgoers. Anyway, this is the first study. Churchgoers is everybody, anybody that goes to church. This is Protestants, Catholics, uh, Mormons. I mean, anybody that just goes to church, 5% tithe. 5% of all churchgoers tithe, give 10% of their income. The average amount given among all churchgoers is $17 a week, $74 a month, $884 a year. That's the average that what a churchgoer gives. Now, that's all churchgoers, so I thought, well, what about Bible churches, <laughs> right? What about just, just evangelicals, Bible-believing churches? Let me find one of those surveys, so I did. 13% of all Bible-believing churchgoers tithe. 13%. 26% give absolutely nothing. Zero. And the average amount given by Bible believers, $40 a week, $160 a month, $1,923 a year. See, oh, let me give you some good news. Of those who tithe, 80% give more than 10%. Now, you know what that tells me? These people are not tithing because it's a number. These people are not tithing because it's a requirement. These people are storing up treasures in heaven. They're going over and aboard. The 10%, that's just a starting point for them. 80% of them go beyond that because they believe what the Bible says about money. They believe what Jesus said. Those other people, by the way, statistics back up what Jesus said. You can't serve God and money. You see, some, so many people are trying to live for this world, storing up the wealth, the biggest truck, the biggest house, the biggest, the nicest clothes, the, all this nice stuff, and at the same time they think, I'm going to live for God. And Jesus said, you can't do it. And statistics bear that out, by the way. All those churchgoers that say they're living for God, they're giving Him the minimum. They're not giving Him anything at all. I guarantee you, they're pouring money into their investments. They're pouring money into their 401k. They're pouring money into their possessions, and they're not giving much to Him at all. It comes out in your money. It's impossible, by the way, for these two to coexist because they are diametrically opposed. One of them says, walk by faith. And the other one says, walk by sight. One of them says, you should be humble. The other one says, no, man, be, be loud and proud. One of them says, set your mind on the eternal. The other one says, no, set your mind on the temporary. One of them loves light. The other loves darkness. One uh, says, put your faith in the unseen. The other one says, no, put your faith in what you can see. They are diametrically opposed. You cannot serve both. In the end, people that try to do both, let me tell you, money will always win. It'll be money that tells them what degree they need to get. It'll be money telling them what car to buy. It'll be, it'll be money telling them what neighborhood to choose. It'll be money telling them what house to buy. Money will be making their decisions for them, not God. See, they think they're getting it both ways, but they're not. They're under, they're, their master is money. And in the end, the sad thing is, especially for those that are Christians, there will never be 
completely devoted to God. They'll never serve Him with all their heart. They'll never be productive for the kingdom as they could be. And they're doing it all for temporary things. It is absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. Reason number four. I got about ten minutes. Doing it the world's way is a form of spiritual blindness. Now I want you to listen. Sandwiched, I put a picture of a sandwich here because you got this first section where Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Then you got this last section where he says, um, uh, what did he say? Uh, yeah, you can't serve God in money, right? And in the middle are these really strange words. Let's read them again. He says, the eye, and by the way, he's still talking about money. He hadn't changed subjects. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body is going to be full of darkness. And if the light in you is darkness, man, how great is the darkness. Now, we understand, everybody understand how the eye works, right? The eye takes in light. And when the eye takes in the proper amount of light, you can see things clearly. If we were to turn the lights off in here right now and, and maybe just the exit sign stayed on, I, I might be able to see something, but I wouldn't be clear, right? Everybody with me? Light allows you to see things clearly. That's a good eye. A bad eye doesn't get the light. A bad eye causes a person to walk in darkness, to not be able to see things clearly. So, here's the question. Why is this saying about the eye Sandwiched in between these two things about money. And here's why. It's because how you view money is an indicator of the light in your life. How you see God in relation to money shows whether or not you're walking in darkness or whether you're seeing clearly. You see, there's a principle here that is very simple And it is incredibly sobering. And that is this. The way you see money is a barometer of your spiritual condition. The way you view money is is showing you your spiritual condition. Let's read it again. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If If your eye is healthy, you'll see the truth. You'll see things as they really are. You'll recognize that money is just temporary. That I should be storing up treasures in heaven. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body is going to be full of darkness. And if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? You see, the good eye sees clearly. It sees that God and His ways are, are, are the right way, the only way, the good way. That God's treasure... Well, that's what we should be investing in. That means more than anything. Everything else is just temporary. And, and what he's, Jesus is saying is if you don't view money that way, then you are in great darkness. If you don't see money the way Jesus sees money, then he's saying you are in great, great darkness. I wonder sometimes how many wives have been neglected by husbands who have an unhealthy eye. They don't see the truth. They're just, they're just working and, and neglecting their family and neglecting their marriage for that career, for that, for that savings, for whatever. And it's all just temporary. They got a bad eye. How many parents 
neglect their children, chasing after things that are just temporary. They, They can't see clearly. And how many people struggle with dissatisfaction in this life? Always chasing the wrong things because they got a bad eye. They do not see clearly. So I started the lesson tonight with this question, and I close with this. Is your eye healthy? Is your eye healthy? And one of the ways you can tell is how do you see money? How do you see money? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this uh, incredible word. Uh, We thank you, Jesus, that um, you took the time, even back then, to focus on things that sometimes just get up in our business. Um, But God, these are the things that show who we really are. So I pray, Lord, um, I pray that in the days to come, if there's people here in this room, in this fellowship, that, that have a bad eye when it comes to money, that God out somehow, some way, you'll take this word, you'll take the words of others, you'll, you'll, you'll take your word, and God, you'll drive it down deep in their heart, and Lord, you'll show them, you'll, you'll take the blinders off, you'll let the light into their eye so that they can see that you, you are the most valuable thing that we could ever have. That everything else is just temporary, it's fading, it's going away, it's insane, absolutely insane to put our trust and hope and contentment in those things while you're standing right in front of us. Don't let us be like that man that called out 2,000 years ago, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Don't let us be that guy. Don't let us be the one when the, the Lord of glory, the giver of life, the most valuable treasure in the world is right in front of us. Don't let us be that guy. And We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank y'all. Y'all are dismissed. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.